Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Wanted to want to say a quick word about this weekend, Memorial Day. You know, it's a not just a day to have a, a cookout or a picnic or or just to get off from work, but it's a day when we remember those who have. You know, paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms. So I just ask you, you know, sometime tomorrow, you know, in the midst of your festivities or yard work or or laying in a hammock, whatever you're doing, you know, take a few minutes to, you know, think about those who have uh, who have sacrificed, you know, that we can be free. These are not the cell phones. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. I think I turned mine off. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to start a new book study this morning. So, uh, if you would, let's let's stand for the reading of the word and for prayer. Paul. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that we can come together and and, uh, open your word and let it speak to us. We thank you, Lord, for this this wonderful gift of your word that we can know you and and know uh, what you have done for us and what your plan is for us and and what we have to look forward to we just thank you lord for your goodness to us we thank you for the grace lord by which we're saved in jesus name amen Amen. you may be seated It took me quite a while to decide you know, what I wanted to, to teach on the next series. Um, and it came down to Ephesians or First Thessalonians. It took me the bigger part of this past week to, to make up my mind. And, but I think I settled on, on Ephesians because I just felt being pulled in that direction. And possibly because, partly because Ephesians, uh, early on when I was just beginning to study the Bible in earnest, uh, became uh, my favorite of all the epistles. Now, I can't say it's still my total favorite. In fact, I'm not sure I even have a favorite. Um, if I had to pick a favorite book, it'd probably be the book of Romans. But my favorite book, no matter what book of the Bible seems to be the one I'm reading at the time. So right now, Ephesians is my favorite book uh, again. 
And as most of you know, uh, any time that we begin a new study, we've got to lay some groundwork. We've got to almost be like journalists and, and, you know, and ask the five W's. What, why, when, where, and who. We need to know who wrote it, why was it written, to whom it was written to, where was it written, and to where was it written. And all these things are really important because, secondly, uh, how many of you have ever heard me use the word context? If you haven't, it's because you haven't been here when I was teaching. <laughs> because context to me is you know, the ultimate thing when it comes to understanding the Bible and avoiding misinterpretations. And if, if we have a good background, if we have a, a good understanding of the epistle that we're reading or a, any book of the Bible, if we have a good understanding of who wrote it, why they wrote it, what were the circumstances going on, you know, who they wrote it to, then we can far better understand the context of the book. Now, we're not going to go into a, an in-depth study of any of these things. We, we could spend weeks and weeks on a lot of the stuff that are this foundational to uh, the book of uh, Ephesians, but we're not going to do that. I just want to give you enough basic information to help you understand better the scriptures as we get into them and perhaps even maybe start you on a... Uh, a study of your own into these things, you know, in, into the the history of the um, Ephesian church and so forth. If you'd like to do that, uh, you know, on on your own time, you know, I'm I'm anxious to get into the heart of of these scriptures. You know, I love the book of Ephesians, and I'm I'm really anxious to to get into it. But you know, I still think it's important that we lay a foundation first history may be a little bit boring to you it's not to me it's my my passion so you'll have to bear, bear with me on that if you will and I try to help it not not be quite so boring but just think of it you know as a foundation that we're laying today that you can build on in the weeks to come as we as we go through this very important book. And of course there's one more why that we will answer as we go along. And that why is why is it important to me? Why is this book of Ephesians significant in in my life? Now <clears throat> let me look at a, a brief overview of the epistle real quick. You know it's it's no no question that it was written by the Apostle Paul. He states so in in the opening line of the letter. But this letter is a bit different than the most of them, with some exception to to Romans. Uh, this letter does not address any particular need 
that is going on within the church at Ephesus. Most every letter that Paul wrote, here again with the exception of, of Romans, addresses you know some kind of issue that is particular to that church. You know, for example, Galatians. You know, they were having trouble with the Judaizers who who came in and, and wanted uh, them to keep the law. First uh, Corinthians. You know, they were having trouble with immorality in the church. You know, among other things. In Philippians, you know, Paul has to exhort a couple of ladies in the church to to quit fighting and try to get along together. Uh, you know, Colossians. The church of Colossae was struggling with some uh, Greek-influenced uh, Jewish philosophy that had in, invaded the church, and uh, you know the Thessalonians were having uh, second coming issues. You know, <laughs> all kinds of stuff that were particular to that church, that would be particular to uh, other churches later on. At different times, you know, during their history, but not so with Ephesians. Ephesians lays out. Well, instead of me trying to explain that one way, let me do it another way. Let me tell you what some other people said about uh, the book of Ephesians. Charles Spurgeon, for example, said, "The epistle to the Ephesians." is a complete body of divinity. In the first chapter, you have the doctrines of the gospel. In the next, you have the experience of the Christians. And before the epistle is finished, you have the precepts of the Christian faith. Whoever would see Christianity in in one treatise, let him read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle to the Ephesians. The commentator David Gusick wrote of this epistle. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Ephesians is is the fulfillment of this. It reveals the things God has prepared for those who love him. And my favorite uh, comes from a fellow named John McKee, a Scotsman from Inverness, who tells of the life-changing experience that he had while reading the book of Ephesians as a 14-year-old boy. And later, after becoming the president of Princeton Theological Seminary, he describes the epistle this way. Ephesians is the distilled essence of the Christian faith. Truth that sings, doctrine set to music. Let me say that one more time. Ephesians is the distilled essence of the Christian faith. Truth that sings, doctrine set to music. Ephesians is the uh, epistle to 
the Christian church. Now, let me give you a little bit, little history. This book was written in approximately 61 A.D., give or take a year or two, because most historians agree that the Apostle Paul was imprisoned in Rome between 60 and 62. Uh, later on, he was imprisoned again somewhere around 67 when he was martyred. We think that he was imprisoned two different times. It is possible... Uh, that he was imprisoned more and is it, it is possible that he was really only imprisoned once but but had a uh, parole or something in, in between but anyway this this prison this epistle was written while he was in prison it's one of the four prison epistles Ephesians Philippians uh, Colossians and Philemon uh, you know Paul's stay in the prison in in Rome. Uh, most of you are familiar with this uh, the story of how he wound up in prison in Rome. You know that he uh, had to. Well, he was in Jerusalem. He was. Uh, uh, in danger of being killed by the Jews, who had some of whom had taken an oath not to eat until they killed Paul. I've often wondered if these men starved to death because they certainly didn't get to fulfill their vow. But you know, he he sought Roman protection and appealed to Caesar uh, for his innocence. He was the centurion said, you know, if he hadn't been if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, this guy could have been set free. But anyway, he he was sent to Rome, you know, shipwrecked and you know all this that went on. But he was imprisoned in Rome for for a couple of years and wrote the uh, these epistles from from the prison. The beginning of his prison sentence seems to have been a little bit more than uh, house arrest because he was able to receive visitors, uh, spread the gospel to a, a great extent. While he was in prison, the epistle he wrote to the Colossians lists an awful lot of, of companions that he had uh, along with him. Now, but later on, you know, during his first you know, two years in prison, the latter, latter part of it, as he describes it in the book of Philippians, seems to have been you know, not nearly as pleasant as the, the first part. Now, some people think that this is uh, this was intended to be a circular letter, and that is that it wasn't addressed to any particular church to begin with, but rather was designed to uh, be given to all the churches in that area, because some of the really early manuscripts omit the word the words at Ephesus. Uh, well. You know, to that I can say this: all of the the letters by Paul, James, Peter, John, whoever wrote Hebrews, were circulated. You know, this was just what they did back in those days. They didn't have Bibles. Um, they didn't have a New Testament. So when a church received a letter from 
one of the apostles or whoever wrote it, uh, they would pass it on to another church in their area. They would have a scribe make a copy of it and send it on, sometimes maybe two or three copies. The church who received it then would, would do the same thing. And that's one of the reasons that we have so many manuscripts, early, early manuscripts from you know, the beginning of, of the church era. It is one way that God preserved his word through the multitude of manuscripts by each church copying them and passing them on you know, so that they would be uh, available. Now, uh, I, can, I can kind of imagine you know, a church receiving uh, a letter, you know, say from Paul, and reading it and thinking, you know, this is really, this is good stuff. You know, we, we need to share this. You know, the church in Thessalonica saying, you know, we, we really need to share this with our brothers over in, in Ephesus. Or maybe, you know, from the Corinthian church reading it and saying, you know, these guys over in Thessalonica really need to read this. They're, they don't have their act together near as much as we do. We send it up to them. <clears throat> you know, they may have different motives for sending things, but this was the, this was the practice. Because these words that were penned by Paul and by Peter and John and James were the encouragement that the church needed in order to sustain itself just the same way that we need these very same words today these are the same words that encourage the Ephesians that are is encouraging Calvary Chapel Princeton today um, Ephesus was in, in Paul's time the capital of the Roman province of Asia is located in what's now uh, far western Turkey and some of you may remember from your study in the book of Acts that it was the uh, home of the temple of Diana the uh, goddess Diana Diana was uh, Diana is the the Roman name of the the uh, Greek goddess uh, Artemis, who was a goddess of of uh, the hunt, uh, wild animals, and later became a a fertility goddess. But the temple there in Ephesus was listed at one time as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was supposed to have been something extremely spectacular. And I think it was like four times the size of the uh, Parthenon in Athens. And drew in lots of, lots of people who would come to worship there at the Temple of Diana. Pagan, uh, it was a center of pagan worship. Now it had been a, a large commercial center but by, the, by Paul's time had lost a lot of its prestige as a commercial center, but was still a, a thriving metropolis, still a political center, and still a, a religious center, bringing in lots of people, and it became then the center for Paul in spreading the gospel to uh, 
the uh, western part of Asia Minor. And if you also remember from the book of Acts, that while Paul was there, there was a big uproar, a riot, if you will, that was started by a fellow named Demetrius, who was a silversmith. And he said, these, you know, this Paul and these Christians are going to take away our livelihood. People are going to stop worshiping the goddess Diana. And we're going to be losing our jobs. You know, it's funny how, how money seems to always get involved in religion somehow or the other, doesn't it? I'm not real sure just how devoted these people were to the goddess Diana. But I know that they were extremely devoted to their money and to their income. Because evidently, they made quite a quite a good income, and so there was a you know a big uproar that the whole city Acts tells us in, in Acts 19 you know came and Paul wanted to go in and, and quieten the the mob down, but the the leaders of the city wouldn't let him go in because he was afraid that they would you know, tear him apart, but. You know, fortunately, you know, as not happened in other places, it 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 did end better. But there's a fellow named Alexander, and I've often wondered about this guy named Alexander, who came in and quieted down the mob. Paul mentions Alexander later on, in the book of uh, First uh, Timothy, in writing to Timothy, and again in Second Timothy. In First Timothy, he said. Essentially that he had to excommunicate Alexander, if you will. He said he uses the term deliver him to Satan, which means disfellowship him, you know, put him out of the church, you know, that he would learn not to blaspheme. And then he says in Second Timothy that Alexander did him much harm. And I wondered if Alexander had something to do with his uh, his arrest the second time which led to his uh, his martyrdom. But yeah, I'm beginning to ramble a little bit, so I will stop that and get back on track here. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of thinking out loud. But Christianity first came to Ephesus during Paul's uh, second missionary journey. He was on his way back to, to Jerusalem, trying to make it back before and I believe it was before for the the uh, feast of Pentecost, and so but he stopped for just a, a a short period of time, went to the synagogue and reasoned with the with the Jews there concerning the gospel. They tried to talk him into staying longer, but he said no. He had to get back to to Jerusalem, but he left Priscilla and Aquila in uh, his place, you know to carry on the you know, the minimal work really that he had started there in his second journey. Uh, then later in his third missionary journey on you know, toward the end of his his journey he stopped in, in Ephesus, found some believers there, so evidently from his from this the stop he had made in his second journey 
and the work of Priscilla and Aquila, some converts were made. And so Paul wound up staying for two years, uh, three, I'm sorry, three years in the city of Ephesus. Uh, after, after Paul left, and at some point in time, uh, Timothy was sent as the pastor of the church in, in Ephesus. And when we read First and Second Timothy, we find basically instructions from Paul as to dealing with the church, how the church uh, was to to function, and how he was to set up the leadership and conduct the affairs of the church. Paul was very very close to the Ephesian church. On uh, his last pass through, after at the end of his third missionary journey, after he had been there three years, you know, he went on, completed his journey. On his way back, he didn't want to stop at Ephesus. I think probably because he knew he would have a hard time getting away. But he stopped, uh, you know, at the island of, of Miletos and sent for the elders of the church and they came over to see him and he told them there that that they would they would never get to see him again and and he 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 prayed with them and he told them there he said for i know this that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. The uh, prophecy that he gave here, you know, we can see kind of a, a fulfillment of it when we look in the book of Revelation uh, in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 7. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from when you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this I have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, whom I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God now the Ephesian church paid, played a very important role in the spread of the gospel into uh, through, or throughout all of Asia Minor and Greece Macedonia in that whole area. 
Uh, let's look at the book itself for just a minute. Every book has a theme. Every book has a a particular theme that is peculiar to it. The theme of the book of Ephesians is God's purpose for the church. We can find this theme this theme stated in different ways, but that is essentially what the book is about, God's purpose for the church. The Bible commentator Henry Alford said, The object of the epistle is to set forth the ground, the course, and the aim and the end of the church of the faithful in Christ. He speaks to the Ephesians as a type of sample of the church universal. The church throughout the epistle is referred to in singular, not plural, churches. So, in view of this theme, Paul discusses in the course of his epistle the topics of election and predestination. Christ as the head of the church. The church as the building and temple of God. The great mystery of Jesus Christ and the great mystery of the church. Spiritual gifts. The church as the bride of Christ. Our walk with Christ as his church and our stand against spiritual forces of, of darkness. These are some things that we're going to be talking about in, in weeks to come as we go through this book. But right now, I just want to look at the first two verses, the introduction, the greeting. Yeah. I would have liked to have gotten into more of it, but I couldn't do that and, and do any foundational work at the same time. So, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul always identifies himself as an apostle. And an apostle by the will of God. In other words, it wasn't his calling, it was God's calling. And Paul was sure of his calling. You know, we're, we're told to make our calling and our election sure. And Paul was sure of who he was and what he was called to do. Now, that raises a question to me in my mind. You know, am I sure that I am doing what God wants me to do? Am I sure of my calling? Are you sure of, of your calling? Are you doing what God wants you to do? If we were to write this, any of us in here were to write this epistle, how would we begin it? Instead of Paul, an apostle by the will of God, how would how would we say? You know, John, you know, what? Am I as sure as Paul that uh, I am doing what God wants me to be doing? You know, there's few things more frustrating than trying to do something that God hasn't called you to do. 
If God calls you to do it, he will equip you to carry out the task. You may think yourself unworthy. You may think yourself uh, ill-equipped. But if God has called you to do it, God is going to provide the means for you to do it. None of us probably would have chosen Paul to be an apostle because he was persecuting the church. But God knew what he was doing and God called him and God gave him what he needed to carry out the work that he was wanting him to do. Now, and he he addresses it to the saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. He greets them as saints. You know, we have corrupted the word saint and thanks uh, to a large extent to the Catholic Church for, for doing this for us. The term has become used of someone who is uh, extra holy, maybe, you know, extra good, even maybe even superhuman. You know, somebody who maybe they don't walk on water, but they could almost walk on water, walk in shallow water anyway. You know, is uh, and <laughs> well, Saint Bill. Yeah, and it's to be a to be qualified for sainthood in the Roman Catholic Church, you have to have two posthumous verified verifiable miracles. In other words, after you're dead, people have to be able to look back and say you know, these two miracles were performed by this particular person. So, a a living person cannot be qualified for sainthood. You have to be dead first. Then, the application has to be okayed by the Vatican. The Vatican then sends the application for sainthood to the diocese where the person considered for sainthood uh, lived and where he died. It has to be examined by I think nine theologians then sent back to the Pope for the final uh, canonization of a person to be a saint. None of us in here would qualify. For one thing, we're all alive. You know, to be a Catholic saint, you have to be dead. So, but each one of us in here are saints of God. Yeah. From you know, Saint Bill, you know, our leader. <laughs> you know, to Saint Roy. And and Saint Blaine, you know, Saint Shirley, we're all saints because we are God's children. That is the only qualification of being a saint, is being one of God's children. He not only calls them saints, but he also says that they are are faithful. 
Now, they had problems, just like we have problems. They weren't perfect, just like we're not perfect. They slipped and fell, just like we slip and fall. But overall, day in and day out, you know, if we are saints of God, we are the faithful, just as well as these folks from Ephesus who were faithful. And he says, Grace to you and peace from, from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, grace is getting what we don't deserve. And Paul greets them with this grace. And of course we can't have peace, any lasting peace, without accepting the grace of God, which comes to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Alistair Begg says this, The security of the gospel is in this, that God grants grace, I'm sorry, that God grants peace through grace. It is our understanding of the amazing grace of God that we can rest content even when our hearts condemn us. We marvel that God in His grace would reach down to us, call us to Himself, and make us His own. Grace is the unmerited favor of God, and it is certainly uh, amazing. Uh, grace, the fact that we are saved by grace alone, was one of the main tenets of the Reformation. Because, you know, to that point, the church had taught a salvation by, by grace plus works. But now, you know, Paul tells us, you know, in the book of, uh, of Galatians, that it's either grace or it's works. It can't be both. It is by grace, the unmerited favor of God, that we have the salvation that God has, has given us. Totally unmerited. There's not a one of us that has earned our salvation. There is not a single person who ever could nor who ever will earn salvation. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. The grace of God has been extended to us that through faith in Jesus Christ yeah, we are made acceptable in His sight. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. And thank you again that we can begin this study into the book of Ephesians and study the great themes that you have set forth for us for your church. Lead us into what you would have us to know. Equip us for your service and to sing your praises. In Jesus' name, amen.